thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without good evening, good ladies, morning, good day, show. wonderful listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Moon Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And don't forget that you can find us on social media. So we are the Wellness Women on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Dr. Ashley Bond is Dr. Ashley Bond on all platforms. I am the Period Whisperer on Facebook and DrAndrea.xo on Instagram. And if you are listening to this episode on um, either Spotify or some other sort of podcast app, can you quickly just go to um, iTunes and just rate and review us five-star ratings only, please? (laughs) Um, This is how we stay... Um, you know, in the forefront of people's minds and really spread this message of um, like just really, in my opinion, good quality women's health information that every woman needs. So thank you. That's a, just a little um, little help for us. Thank you. Anyway, Ash, back to you. Hey, and so look, welcome everyone. Tonight we're going to talk about something uh, that, you know, every one of us listening has had to go through at some point in our life. You know, it's that transition. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about how to to manage, you know, puberty, whether it be yourself. So this might help some of the teenage ladies listening. It's mostly geared towards, you know, the mothers or daughters uh, trying to transition and navigate this. We're not going to exclude the boys, but we are really going to focus on the female um, transition through puberty because that is the one thing that both of us, you know, talk about so often. And I think, you know, both uh, male and female need their own independent, I think, podcast on this one because there's just so, such differences in this realm. Um, so today we're going to talk about women's transitions. So uh, it's all about the female transition from, uh, I guess, childhood to adulthood. And that's often signaled by the experience of the first menstrual cycle. Mm, yeah. So puberty is like we thought about doing this topic 
just after we did the perimenopausal hell episode that we did a few episodes ago because, um, you know, perimenopause mimics so much of puberty, which is this time of such dramatic big hormonal shifts. And obviously the most dramatic one is this shift from, you know, like you said, Ash, um, the childhood years into um, puberty and, you know, into being a teenager and everything else. And um, uh, it's quite funny. Mum is listening to the podcast. My mum actually, you know, sends me texts and um, feedback and reviews about the show. And she's so sweet. She's like so encouraging of everything. But now I'm like mortified that she's going to hear this episode as well. Um, Because I was the most horrendous teenager around. Like I put my parents through hell and, um, you know, I, my moods were atrocious. Um, if mum mentioned anything about menstruation, I was like, run for the hills. I do not want to talk about it. I do not want to hear about it. I want to know nothing. Um, and it was always like, just this whole idea of periods or even just puberty. Um, even when they talked about it at school, everyone would sort of sit in class and they would laugh about it or it'd be talked about in those hushed sort of reverent tones. Um, and I know that uh, my initial years of menstruation were pretty irregular and sometimes there was periods of really long bleeding as well, but definitely my moods were just atrocious. I like was would not have wanted to be around me then. Um, what about you? <laughs> oh, I think uh, from all purposes, I was, you know, a high-level athlete, so I didn't uh, get my first cycle until I think late 15-ish around that age group. Oh, and yeah. Um, it was, yeah, it was really, when I say not not a great event in the sense that um, I always had light cycles that were super irregular. I could go two, three, four months without another cycle, but it was always just chalked up to it being athletic at that level. You are training, you know six, eight, 12 sessions a week in various forms. And it was quite normal for the girls to not have cycles. So it was um, nothing too too strange at that point in my life. Um, and yeah, I, I honestly have never really um, been one to experience heavy, painful periods or bleeding or bloating or cramping or any of those things. So I really didn't, you know, associate that with um, periods. I had, you know, quite a comfortable uh, experience. But, you know, for me, it was just, uh, we, I never had, mum never kind of gave me the girl conversation to girl to woman talk. I didn't really recall anything like that. And um, my, I think my cycle was probably associated with, you know, first experience of um, shame and embarrassment. And I think yeah. that's probably a really interesting, you know, emotion that a lot of teenagers experience that in some way they're, you know, it's a shameful thing or it's embarrassing. I actually can, I could recall it like it was yesterday, even to this day, uh, because we're at state championships out at Homebush um, Swimming Centre and uh, I was standing on the blocks in the warm-up pool and the block blocks are white and I looked down and it was like, pink like on the water because we've been doing dives um starts i just remember looking down and it was just like this pink kind of pool under my feet and i had been standing like and i was like checking my legs like did i did have a cut on my foot or something like that thinking you know and then it was like that realization of like oh no <laughs> like oh, not right gosh. now oh no um and it could you know all things it had to be state titles like it was just yeah it was just horrifying and uh, I remember getting to the other end of the pool and then being like, what do I do now? Do I get out? Do I stay in the water? Like, it was just, oh, it was horror. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, we all have these yeah. experiences. Other people have different ones that might, might be horrible. Like I would hate to offend the girl, you know, sitting at school, having the first bled through the school uniform. You know, I know that happened to girls in my class and 
Um, I guess in some ways I'm grateful it was a swimming pool, like kind of hide and run away. Um, but it did, yeah, it did kind of leave it in, in a double mark in my, my brain about the experience because I was really, really, really embarrassed. Um, yeah, and then funny? I had to try and tell my mom, like in covert, in covert language of like, um, I think I have my period and I'm like wrapping towels around my legs to try. It was, oh. yeah, it was awkward, absolute awkward. So that's, uh, shows you those memories get printed in there when they've got oh, enough emotion attached to them. Totally. I think that that awkwardness, Ash, is like the best way to sum up teenage years. But I yeah. do think like our generation is still like, we really talk about this stuff, but I think that the generations after us, there's a lot more conversation, which is happening, which is awesome. And, um, I try and be really as open and forthcoming with all of my teenage girl patients as best I can, just so that mm. we're removing any roadblocks, taboos, anything around that sort of stuff so that they can always have an open and honest conversation with me. And I've always said to them that there's nothing that's sort of off limits that they can't kind of ask or talk about because, you know, they, they need to have someone who's that trusted advisor, particularly if they feel uncomfortable talking to their, like their parents or, or their siblings about it. Um, yeah, that's so funny. I'm sure everybody has those um, those stories of shame. And also, Ash, I think because you were um, probably exercising so much and being so worn out, I'm sure that your moods and your um, <laughs> you were a much better kid. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I asked was- my mom about it. I was asked, I said, you know, was I a you know, horror teenager? Because everyone recounts that story. Mum, every time hands down, says that um, <laughs> not even close. You didn't cause me yeah. any trouble at all. You were just an easygoing kid. And I'm like, oh, cool, thanks. Um, you know, that's, yeah, the worst. But I think the few, few nights that I uh, suddenly went AWOL, you know, when I was out and about with friends and said I'd be home at midnight, but it was 2.30. I think I caused distress in those hours while she waited. But yeah. other than that, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, I'm a pretty tame girl. I wasn't really that adventurous most of the time. Oh, I was but, the um, but I, I but I think to do and try everything. <laughs> and um, I remember just feeling all of the feels and just the injustices mm. in the world was just mm. such a, like, such a big thing. Um, and that's, you know, when I became like vegetarian vegetarian and then vegan and then, you know, just um, really pushing boundaries of everything that I possibly could. Um, I think it's also funny that we had these experiences with our period and now this, the work that we're in as well. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, I guess, you know, mums out there just know that, uh, yeah, Oh, and look for all the mums out there listening, yes, uh, your daughters will have some awkward recount of their story, I'm sure. But, you know, if we, we, we're educating each other and sharing uh, something that is no, I think should be no longer taboo. We shouldn't be whispering this stuff. We should just be having, mm-hmm. a, you know, big open conversations that it's okay if your teenagers awkwardly squirm. But the more casual, the more relaxed we are, and a bit like you said, you know, what you do with your clients in practice, Andrea, you just make it so safe and so open and you never, like, hush-hush the words. You say it straight as it is. You keep that eye contact. You keep that lightness about, you know, the way you talk and the expression so it's not, like, dropping the tone and lowering the voice. Like, it's just like, yeah, cool. So, you know, everyone gets this. Like, you know, at some point in the next, you know, two to five years, you're going to experience this. So let's just kind of hang with this space and be okay with it and when that time comes you know let's be prepared for it and celebrate it you know if we can find ways to celebrate i've recently been uh, loving some interactions i've had with one of the mums uh happened to be my birth doula so she's gorgeous so if you're listening shout out to you my lovely um and you know she's just started to do some circles of these you know sacred circles for mums and daughters to come and, and work through this transition um honoring the feminine honoring the the space that is you know that transition mothers 
and daughters together, just really creating like ritualized, um, I guess, sharing experiences so all girls can feel safe. And I thought that was just the most beautiful thing because I can tell you if my mom had taken me to a circle like that, I think it would have had a very different um expectation and feeling around my first cycle like it might have been something that had been like oh that's all good but oh my god mom woo <laughs> as opposed to oh my god what do I do now like such an <laughs> so. incredible initiation and hmm. um it was a few years ago that you know our menstrual cycles were now declared the fifth vital sign and there's also a book that's come out um, of a similar title and that's because the health of our cycles for women and for teenage girls as well um, and this was clarified by the American um, Committee of Obstetricians and Gynecologists were saying that looking at the health of, of our cycles is just as important as doing blood pressure heart rate cholesterol you know all of those sorts of things it's such a hallmark um well, it's a monthly report card, isn't yes, it? You exactly. don't have to go and get a blood test for something. It's right there and it is what it is and you can track and monitor symptoms, you know, basal temperature, flow, colour. Like there's so many things that you can actually assess from that uh, that monthly report card. So, yeah, I love that idea that it is the fifth sign. It is a critical life assessment. And I think that um, starting to have conversations around that with teenage girls and just helping them to understand, okay, what sort of qualities are you looking for um, in the cycle and what is a normal period? And also initially when they start menstruating, it's totally normal to be abnormal as well. It's totally normal to have irregularity. It's totally normal to have a little bit of hormonal acne. Um, in fact, like up to 95% of the teenage population in the Western world and I think that that's really um, an important distinction to make. Um, we'll experience acne at some point. Um, it's totally normal to have bouts of heavier or lighter bleeding, um, for the bleeding to be extended for periods of time as well. But we want to see some sort of regulation starting to come in, hopefully within the first two years of menstruation. Um, and there's lots and lots of ways that we can encourage that to happen as well. Um, but Let's just let me give you some quick fast facts just around kind of puberty and the teenagers' transitions and everything. So, um, usually the age can vary um, with the onset of puberty from sort of eight to age thirteen in girls, and it's a little bit older for boys because obviously boys are always behind girls. <laughs> um, I really don't like it when I see girls starting periods before 11 years old. Um, I think sort of more that kind of 12 to 14 age is so much more healthy for their body. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. And if you go back and listen to our podcast episode that we did on precocious puberty, that will make um, you know, a bit more sense. Um, and there's a huge, you know, variation obviously, um, in regards to the time and, and what things kind of like help with that onset. Um, usually the hormones that initiate menstruation for the first time, um, they peak up to from 20 to 30 times above what childhood levels of hormones are. And there's ovarian activity that's happening from you know, from the moment of conception pretty much for developing babies. And then um, we have so many follicles and so many eggs available that then get dumped right before birth and they keep declining until we've got about 500,000 of them when puberty starts, which I think is pretty amazing. Um, and then with the actual onset of puberty, we get this huge influx of gonadotrophin releasing hormone from our anterior pituitary in our like in our brain. And with that, we get this big increase in FSH and LH, so two pituitary hormones that then signal down to our ovaries to do things. 
And the ratio between those hormones um, is usually like really, really high. And then it decreases later sort of in puberty as well. So those surge of hormones then stimulate estrogen to be released and progesterone. And then usually we can see signs of things starting to happen. So look out for like breast budding because that will start about two years before menstruation occurs. Usually they'll get a growth spurt about a year before that happens as well. And then things like pubic um, hair follows after the breast development. And then we also start to see um, sometimes some oily skin and occasionally um, some odor changes as well. Um, You know, if we think of typical stinky teenage boys that's that sort of all all carries on um in that sort of uh stage and with girls usually during puberty they'll have about a 20 centimeter growth spurt with often about 20 kilos of weight gain as well which is completely normal during puberty so um just so you know those are some things to look for um Usually the onset of menstruation happens after the body reaches about 47 kilos or we have that body fat percent ratio of about 23%. So, Ash, I reckon that's part of why your menstruation happened a bit later, probably because you were so lean and your body fat percentage was probably so low. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And by all accounts, women in our family all cycled later as well. You know, my mum was also late in cycles and as far as, you know, grandma was as well. So that, you know, that as far as I'm aware, you know, often familial um, relationship Mm -hmm. as well for the women in the family. Um, One of the other amazing things, and I love what you said about, you know, just how the body changes and some of those key signs of development steps occurring. Um, Another one that, you know, really signals teenage life uh, for parents watching from the outside in is also, you know, just recognising and the developing brain mm-hmm. um, and how this brain is evolving through this age and stage. And, you know, unfortunately, the brain doesn't just all develop in one go. Um, some areas take longer to develop. So you initially get these um, sort of surges in growth in the impulsive areas of the brain, uh, primarily known as the amygdala. And this usually develops earlier than the prefrontal cortex. And this can really explain why you're getting this impulsive behavior, but there's no like self-control, self-regulator there because the prefrontal cortex is not able to do its job just yet. So when we're asking teenagers to be reasonable, be rational, it's actually asking them to do something they're not physically and functionally capable of doing because their brain is not yet able to do such a thing. And this kind of reflects back to something Andrew and I were talking about before we started, which was just talking about this idea of should we be leaving um, teenagers to make self-determining like decisions? Should we be letting them make the, the decisions about their health or their well-being or, you know, appointments with medical professionals and support team and all these sorts of things? Because the reality is without that ability to self-regulate and use that prefrontal cortex, they're really not capable of that higher reasoning. And uh, it seems like an unfair expectation to put on them because, you know, it's asking someone to do something they're not capable of doing. So, you know, that's another hallmark of that teenage experience, isn't it? It's just thinking, what on earth have they lost their brain today? You know, parents are always saying, oh, my God, they do the most dumb stuff. Um, What were they thinking? And I think the whole point is they're not thinking. You know, they're not able to use that prefrontal cortex. And it's very, um, it's very much about instant gratification and that moment to moment sort of reactivity as well. Mm. Um, and which is why I struggle so much with teenage girls making decisions about going on oral contraceptives, um, because mm-hmm. they don't have the foresight and the capacity to really 
understand the long-term effects that that is going to have, have on their system, particularly starting those hormones during those years when it takes so long for the body to get used to the influx of the hormones that happen in the first place. And then you're layering in synthetic hormones, which are even, you know, 10 times stronger than what your own body is making in the first place, which we know unequivocally can affect depression and anxiety and sometimes for life, even after stopping oral contraceptives because of the impact it has on that developing brain. Like teenagers could not make decisions about that at that time. Yes, it would make life easier to be able to like, you know, obviously dictate when you're having a period or maybe skip that. And yes, excellent form of contraception. But there's also other options that are not going to be affecting your hormones that way. So one sort of conversation that I always have with teenage girls and mothers is that, and and dads, of course, like, you know, the family unit is avoiding oral contraceptives during those teenage years as much as physically possible. Um, And, you know, I really push back on them about that. And normally they thank me later for that. (laughs) Um, and I take a pretty hard line about it, but that is because the research is completely unequivocal around the damaging effects that it has on teens when used at that age. Um, and as well, if you start hormonal contraceptives too early, like you haven't allowed the body to get into a bit of a regular cycle properly, sometimes it can actually be really hard to do that afterwards. Um, so that's just my absolute word of warning and caution and um, we've covered that topic so many times. So if you want more details about that, ladies, if you're new to obviously Wellness Women Radio, go back and through the archives of the podcast list and have a look at some of those things because um, we've, we've covered that in quite a lot of detail. Yeah, we have. And I also think I just want to acknowledge there that um, it can be really challenging because we often talk about you know tracking cycles, but when the, you know, puberty first initiates there's often a very irregular cycle you know so for the purpose of um contraception it can be very hard to map and track when it may or may not be safe to have unprotected sex let's just say that uh, we assume all teenagers do the right thing and they you know always have protected sex and it's always very safe but the reality is it's not always that way so you know just being real about it i know that a lot of mums have great concerns that because their daughter doesn't know when they're cycling well and they can't guarantee it and what if there's an accident what if there's a mistake um they really want that certainty and it seems like the easy path to take which is to put a you know a teenage girl onto the contraceptive pill um what do you sort of say to parents in that situation andrew because i think you know for me it's always that discussion of it has to always be your choice but you need to you know consider all the options here Um, that's where I think the conversation around, um, like condom use has to be really, um, frank because yes, oral contraceptives are a really good way or a really good contraception. Like that is the one and only thing I think that they do really well is contraception, but obviously Mm. used correctly. Right. So it's still, there's still a margin of user error there. Absolutely. Um, And although they can protect against pregnancy, there is no protection against sexually transmitted infections, obviously. And if, um, you know, teens were to contract something like this, this can also affect them long term as well. So absolutely condoms every single time and um, no excuses. And, you know, both um, like the the females and males being fully well prepared for that. And I think helping, and this is like probably a topic that goes past the extent of what we're going to cover tonight, but I think that when teenage girls have got 
um, some good foundations of boundaries and self-esteem and sovereignty over their body, they'll be much more inclined to, um, you know, make sure that they're advocating for safe sex. Um, and, and yeah. all those sorts yeah. of things. So I think it, uh, there's so many layers to this, but I just think condoms absolutely every single time. And, um, I'll try and have that conversation really, really openly with my teenage patients. And a lot of the time they'll ask their parents to stay out of the room for this stuff, which is fine because at least someone is having that conversation with them. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, let's not freak out all our parents. Let's go back to the basics of, <laughs> yes. uh, of puberty. I know. And- I think we'll just segue out of that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was just more because we were talking about that idea of contraception and, and cycling and tracking cycles, but then yes. realizing that there's a few flaws in that when we start, you know, our initial menstruation, because there's often not regularity, it can be a very stop start process that can go on for years, um, you know, before there's really, you know, regular, predictable cycles. Um, so just understanding there's that variability mm. that. Um, women as well, you know, girls will transition at different paces. You know, some women will start and they'll be very regular. Others won't. They'll be stop start. Like there's no, there's no perfect in that that process in that initiation. Um, yes, let's talk about how we start. I, I, we, I always love. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Just before we move on from the tracking no, cycle yeah, yeah, um, yeah. idea, I do still really like that idea that um, for teens, and especially now that we've got apps for everything, oh, yeah. and it helps. You yeah. know, it's a techie thing that they can do because. Um, Looking at the regularity or irregularity of it and helping them to understand what that actually means for them is part of how they review their own hormonal report card. Um, And also it's just teaching them that um, just about their hormonal health really in there and what all of that means I think is such a good idea. I know there are some apps that you can see, um, like the mums can have logins as well. Like, so, um, you know, mums and daughters can look at each other's charts and that would be really interesting for a dad to see when all the women that's in the cool. household were menstruating at the same time. Um, but I think that that's a really, really good thing. Um, sorry, Ash, continue on with what What's you your favourite? No, no. What's your favorite oh. free app? Since we mentioned tracking apps, like I, I use Glow, just the free oh, component. You can get upgraded premiums and all the rest, but the free free app does the job for me. What, uh, what do you love to recommend? The period tracker lot, I think, is super simple, yep. really easy, yep. user friendly. Um, the Flow app is really good. I actually had the thought, Ash, that I reckon we should develop um like a period tracker app. Um, you know, obviously we can talk about this offline, but I think that that would just be. <laughs> Really, yeah, yeah. really amazing because I, I look at all of them and even the paid ones as well and think that there's so many other features that could help to make it a much more like better interactive experience. Um, and also just remember that there's no app that will tell you when you're ovulating. You have to put that data in. So yes. I just always encourage yeah, absolutely. to just customize it to yourself. Yeah. Cool. So where do we want to go now? I was going to say, do, do you want to kind of talk about how you start the conversation or should we uh... – which um, which way? Oh, I feel like uh, – see, I don't know. I don't know about that one. Um, I would love to hear from mums about how they've approached that with their teenage girls. Um, and there are some really amazing, um, you know, women in educational series that actually sort of do broach a lot of that stuff with, with teenagers. And I've, I think yep. I've learned the hard way that I my level of detail and expertise is not that appropriate not that sort of good for like a teenage audience. Um, So I've really got to figure out how to communicate um, in a much less technical way. And I think I do well one-on-one with them and they totally get it. Or in, for example, my secret women's business workshops, when I'm I'm teaching um, teenagers about their hormones and menstruation, I think I go to like two 
technical, um, which doesn't serve anybody. But um, Ash, what about if we talk about just the normal um, or are there ways that you would approach it? Oh, look, I think, you know, generally speaking, a lot of um, benefit comes from the obviously open conversations, but I think it's also really helpful rather than, you know, like you mentioned, being very technical and data dumping on your teenager. <laughs> um, one of the best ways can always just be staying in the conversation of what do you know about, you know, cycles and women's cycles and just get a bearing on what, you know, your child knows about those things because some kids will be awkward and not know a lot and other kids are really well educated and sometimes it's even hard to know, you know, whether your child's done more work on this than, you know, you might realize so it's sometimes nice to just gauge i think like a lot of conversations in so many different areas of life is just finding out like meet them where they are find out where they're at and just uh and start there so i think a lot of conversations that are open and relaxed and asking questions is a, a great place to start mind you most people will tell me the teenagers grunt at them and that's about as much as they get but <laughs> you may as well start with that and then of course i think one of the most powerful things we can do as women is share our, our experiences as well of yes. our own so that it just helps to break that idea of like yes we have one too and this is what i do and haven't you ever noticed that you know second drawer in the bathroom that i had those things in there that's what it's for that's what we use it for you know or if they've ever noticed you you know drying your menstrual cup on the basin or something <laughs> yeah. you know have that conversation explain what it is and what it's for and you know, just make it really um open about you know menstrual products so that they make sense as to what they're for and why they're there um and then just that that clarity that yes every woman's going to go through this so you know one day you'll have your turn too and and then I think, you know, working out um, what your child's level of comfort with that conversation is really helps to decide whether you're going to go off and join up for, you know, a women's circle and, you know, do a whole initiation rituals or whether you might just want to start with, you know, a book. There might be something you can read through together or whether it's, you know, because I find personally, I just find high school like or school ed just so uh, about this topic uh, i think i don't think that they do a very good job of um like the way that it was particularly when i went through high school as well like was just, <laughs> oh no we're aging ourselves <laughs> yeah i know um i i can't imagine it's evolved that much to be honest um no. yeah it was it was terrible um but yeah Ash, i think just the more the more you talk about it the more normalized you make it because if you think about it literally at any point in time about half of the adult population is menstruating so Phenomenal. it's just, you know, it's such a part of our just normal physiology and biology. So it should just be talked about as much as um, like blood pressure or, you know, all of those other other vital <laughs> signs. Um, okay. Yeah. What I thought we'd do is just quickly go through, okay, um, these are the major things we see in teens that are problematic. This is what brings them into our office. So it's things like acne, irregular cycles, period pain and mood changes. Um mm-hmm all really really common and um i thought we would talk through just some of our kind of easy go-tos to help with some of those solutions and always diet is such a huge part of it and um which also means that diet for teenagers is a really tricky thing because this is when they're much less likely to be wanting to take food advice from their parents um you know usually they're going to be wanting to, um, you know, eat out with their friends and um, stick with social norms and not want to be different from their peers as well. Um, whereas I was the opposite and very happy to be eating all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Um, and uh, this is also when I became vegetarian as well um, and was really quite restrictive with my diet for that reason too. 
But on the flip side of that, I ate soy and soy milk and soy yogurt and everything every single day and soy protein powder and like not quite realizing, um, you know, the effect that that was having on my system. So I think um, being really conscious of dietary stuff um, for my teenagers, if they've got um, like period irregularity and pain, I usually have conversations with them around inflammatory foods. So particularly dairy and gluten are really big ones. Dairy, particularly if they've got acne as well um and just helping them to make sure that they've got protein and fiber with every single meal so protein requirements during puberty are quite um sort of moderate to high so we need those building blocks for those hormones but also for the amount of growth that's happening um, and then the fiber to, again to help um as you know one of those main building blocks for those things too um and then limiting, you know, the processed sugars and everything as much as possible, which can always be a bit tricky. But I think if you talk to them within their value system, so if you can connect the dots between when you eat this way, this is making your acne worse or something that might um, be very visible and obvious to them, then it's much easier for them to also um, make those changes at the same time. So it's kind of they've got to see that kind of cause and effect in my experience. Um, yes. What else, Ash? Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm saying, and I think you know what you've highlighted there is just those dietary influences that can you know essentially lead to estrogen dominance, and so you get all those estrogen dominance symptoms, um, you know, exacerbated PMS, menstrual cramps. Um, you know, even early signs of PCOS, um, you know, signs of endometriosis, like all of these things um, signal, you know, imbalances in that hormone chemistry. And even though the, you know, initial onsets are not always comfortable, there's usually a degree of regulation that occurs, you know, in the coming months. Um, but, you know, if there's increased body fat percentage, for example, we know that that, you know, can lead to increased issues regarding estrogen. Um, so, again, you know, healthy lifestyle, the dietary aspect, the exercise, you know, exercise and movement are critical, but often girls um, at that age and stage are pushing back, not wanting to do as much. They, you know, just want to hang with their girlfriends or they don't want to, you know, go out and do sport. And that actually exacerbates and worsens some of those cyclic issues. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think with like the better movement, cleaner dietary stuff, um, the other thing that has to happen is they've got to get more sleep. So for teenagers, they're making those hormones when they sleep and they're also making a huge amount of human growth hormone at that time, which is obviously going to help them to, to grow tall and everything else. So um, teenagers sometimes can need, you know, like 11 to 12 hours sleep a night. So if you want nicer teens, just like, you know, let them sleep in on the weekends and really encourage earlier um, bedtimes and everything else if you can um, and obviously less screen time and I know this one is probably going to be next to impossible for both teenagers and parents but it really like there's very um, clear research showing that less screen time more green time so being outdoors and outside and in nature has such a dramatic impact on mental health and cognitive function um, and I think just for parents particularly mothers I think leading by example is just so important so like the things that we talked about, you know, no taboos, um, paying attention to the cycle, um, speaking positively about it as much as you can as well. Like not, oh, God, I've got my period again. Like, you know, just whatever it might be, hopefully we can change that languaging around it. Um, and always <laughs> for me, um, I just think that this is so important, avoiding oral contraceptives as much as all hormonal contraceptives as much as physically possible. 
Um, we Absolutely, can, yeah. Um, we can go into like some of the key nutrients that I usually use um, in terms of supplementation where there are some issues. And- oh, just before we jump forward, can I oh, just yes. jump in quickly? Yes. I just want to say, because on top of all that, I thought that was, you know, beautiful that we were talking about, um, you know, things to do. One of the big things for me as well is for me, teenage years just comprise of so many chemicals. It's nail polish, it's makeup, it's hairsprays or, you know, lots of cosmetics. It's um, and predominantly things like body sprays and deodorants, right, because it's all about the smell, like how many girls carry yes. around in their backpacks spray deodorants and stuff like that um so you know again trying to avoid those um xenoestrogens which all come from those products like the creams and everything else because obviously teenagers are really susceptible to marketing right Mm -hmm. so cool ads with cool deodorants and cool women you know showing those things it's really tempting to go to the shops and buy that um even if you're leading by example and you using low-tox products um just try and you know reiterate the why why do you use these products not because they're less cool but because they're great for our health. They're great for our cycles. Yeah. Oh, Ash, that's so important. Yep, definitely that that environmental influence and the the chemical exposure. Um, mm. Because again, this is setting teenagers up, hopefully, for hormonal harmony or hormonal balance for life. Because if we get it right as teenagers, it is so yeah. much easier for the rest of our life. Um, so, say um, you know someone like one of the the teens had got um, irregular periods, um, you know, which is totally normal. So my go tos are magnesium, zinc, and then depending on some other symptoms, often things like vitamin C as well, because we've got that really good antioxidant support there. But it's going to help to lift progesterone as well, which is going to help just um, with a bit of regularity. Zinc is just such a key mineral during um, teenage years because even a slight zinc deficiency will dramatically impact skeletal growth, bone mineralization. It also makes sure that our hormones are converting into the right things when we need them as well. So getting testosterone to convert into estrogen properly and everything else along the way. So it's decreasing the um, likelihood of excess androgens that go with acne and um, oily skin and the odor changes, but also PCOS as well. Um, And just, you know, obviously great for improving immune function and everything else. Uh, I occasionally use Vitex in teenagers, but try not to do it too early because um, we want the body to try and get into sort of regular cycles first. So I'd prefer to use just minerals rather than really strong herbs. Um, I also pay really close attention to vitamin D and iron status in teens as well, because that's something that can be really lacking and remembering that the vitamin D is a hormone as well. Um, and that if they are anemic, which is becoming more and more common, um, then you've got other sort of things you've got to work on to then allow the body to have that hormonal balance as well. Um, what else? I think those are like the biggest go-tos. Period pain, you know, obviously lots and lots of magnesium. Um, period pain in teenagers is literally the easiest thing in the world to fix uh, because often it can just be that that pelvic um, sort of misalignment or the the uterine angle, whether it's like antiverted or retroverted, that is causing, you know, that pain. So, so simple. And also it's quite um, – it's much easier to diagnose um, or look at changes that may go with endometriosis in teenagers through ultrasound rather than having to go um, down, you know, the sort of surgical route and everything else. So we should be able to see hints and signs of that if that is what's developing and hopefully action it straight away. 
Uh, all right, I think that's it. <laughs> Beautiful. I that's think that's a great way to yeah. That's a great way to start. There's so much for parents to take a th- thought about tonight. You're just talking about some of the normal things, uh, some of the ways we can help. Obviously, you know, just reminding um, our daughters as well that you know heavy, painful periods. It's not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not normal to need to take Panadol or Paracetamol or you know Nurofen to deal with cycles. And just trying to remind you know girls about what is normal, and what's not normal. Because I think a lot of girls still think because their girlfriends at school have these bad cycles that if they have bad cycles, it's just a normal part of it. And sometimes they don't actually say that to their parents. So I've noticed that a lot of girls will hide, oh, yeah, they're really bad. I'm like, oh, so what, what did your mum say? You know, any thoughts? Oh, no, I don't tell her. You know, all the girls have the same problem. And it's like, oh, okay, cool, because they think it's very normal to have that. So I think, you know, as you always say, Andrea, that um, it's not okay. You know, it's just not okay to have these abnormal cycles that we think are, you know, apparently normal because so many people have it. So just because something's common doesn't make it normal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we've been brought up to just think that it's just inevitable that we'll have horrific cycles. And again, it's just mm-hmm. that part of that initiation into womanhood. Um, and yes, initially some irregularity and some other, um, you know, hormonal haphazard stuff going on. Um, we expect, but definitely period pain that requires, you know, medication, um, or painkillers or anything along those lines is absolutely not normal and so easy to get on top of at that age. Cool. Well, I think everyone, let's have some really positive, happy, you know, open conversations about menstrual cycles. Let's help our, you know, tweens or teens uh, get through this transition experience with a positive and less shameful, less embarrassing experience. <laughs> yes. Awesome. All right, ladies. So you have been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the wellness women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar on women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.